All right, well, welcome everybody. Tom Miller here uh, with my teaching partner, Katie Ridenauer, and welcome to the Charter School Leadership Community. Uh, whether this is your first call with us, um, I hope it's never your last. And uh, we, we, have, we have had some great conversation. We have great experts on the call uh, each week with you. And so just remember, uh, you know, the purpose of this call in particular is to inform, connect, guide, and unite North Carolina's charter school leaders. So this is not a sit and get, it's, it's a discussion. And we, we work to bring in true practitioners and experts to bring you their best opinion um, and their research and the work that they've done and what they've found out. Uh, so thank you, thank you uh, for spending your very valuable time with us. We do not, we do, we do not take that lightly. Um, so today we're gonna have members of the association um, Acadia North Star and Charter Success for Partners, and then also um, uh, Katie and I will be on uh, with you. So hopefully, I want to spend 30 seconds talking about this here. Hopefully you got the email that I sent out this morning and you took a little bit of time to read that because I was really concerned when I started seeing um, Facebook you know, groups exploding, free resource, you know, Facebook groups exploding with teachers and, and uh, parents looking for, um, you know, ways to better teach and educate their children. And this is, this is such an important time for you to build a community, to build a community within your community, uh, to give someone a platform so they can feel safe and listened and heard. And I don't know whether those folks are district folks or whatever they are, but to me, it breathes opportunity for you to make sure that you continue to be the voice that your community goes to for affirmation and confirmation and clarification and, and to feel as though they are part of something. Because uh, that's why we started this call now. I think, Katie, this is our fourth call. Uh, we started on that Saturday afternoon, I think. Mm -hmm. and um, It seems like an eternity ago, but it was probably only three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and just to remind yourself, um, you know, you were built for this. You know, you were built for this. You were built to be nimble. You were built to think quick and act quick. Um, so, so really, really take that into consideration. And, and so one of my favorite uh, videos that I use, I wanted to share, share this uh, with you all. Maybe some of you have seen it. Um, before, but this is just a minute long here. This is what I think when I think about charter schools. I like to climb mountains. I like to build planes in the air. I grew up wanting to be on a plane, wanting to be at this high. Sometimes the temperature up in the altitude will reach 60 below. It's brisk, it's refreshing. You never know what you're gonna come across up there. Canadian geese, Allard. These people back here, that's why I come to work. That's why I build airplanes in the sky. We're not just building a plane here. We're building a dream. I love this job. I look at a lot of banks up here. When I look up there and I see that little kid, I look in his eyes, that's all the banks I need. <laughs> I remember, I remember using that like, like a decade ago uh, when I was a principal, and it's it's more relevant now maybe than it's ever been uh, before. So, 
Um, so I so I appreciate <laughs> you guys um, maybe pulling a little humor here as as uh, as we move on to our next part of the meeting. So here's what I want to make sure happens. One, you get your questions uh, at least seen. Okay, we might not have the best answer today in this you know, 56 uh, minutes that we have left of this call. Uh, but we will be working on it. And that's what we've been doing on a weekly basis is taking your questions and really working towards, you know, getting you the best information so you can make it uh, the easiest decision for your organization. Um, so, you know, with us as always is, uh, you know, Katie Ridenauer, my uh, teaching partner. So if you haven't said hi yet, Katie, go ahead and hop in there and say hi real quick. Hello, everybody. Good to be with you again. Awesome. And then our uh, partner, Rhonda Dillingham, the executive director of the Association for Public Charter Schools. Is Rhonda there with us and un unmuted? I'm here. How's everybody? I know I'm doing well, Rhonda. I don't know about you. I muted everybody else because they can't talk. This is the Tom Miller show. So just so you know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with us, so there's one big uh, piece that's been coming up. And so I'm going to let uh, Rhonda and Corey Drawn uh, take this next you know, section because uh, this is something that came up um, that's really important to uh, charter school leaders to understand. So there's been some information out there. So Corey, I'm going to open up the floor to you. Uh, Corey, the founder of Charter Success Partners, and and uh, Rhonda, to really why is this important to uh, charter school leaders to understand this PRC 154 funding, and what should leaders be really working towards over the next uh, week or two? Well, there are so many moving parts these days. It's hard to keep up with everything, and. Um, that's why we have experts in the field like Corey from Six, uh, Charter Success Partners. And we asked um, if we could have some experts on the call today to help out with um, help leveling your understanding in these types of issues. So Corey, I'm gonna let you go ahead and, and share what you have with everyone today. Great. Uh, thanks so much Rhonda and Tom for inviting me to participate and um, I know before everything got started, there was a lot of conversation about the opportunity that this time presents. And uh, I just want to say, um, you know, that we're extremely thankful in our team to, to be able to be a part of this. Um, you know, there's nothing more um, uh, important than I think the care and safety of, of kids. And that's what you guys are doing. So if our groups, uh, can play a small part in that. Um, we feel really fortunate and I uh, feel really fortunate to be busy right now, um, you know, with a lot of uh, personal family connections uh, did directly with joblessness. Uh, it's a tough time for a lot of people. And so I know what you guys are doing is providing some semblance of, uh, of consistency for, for those families, hopefully. Um, but anyways, uh, to focus in on what the point of, of my participation is, is related to uh, PRC 154, which was special COVID-19 related funding that was approved uh, last Friday by the State Board of Education. And um, I know that all of you started to get the email notifications from the allotment system, uh, kind of notifying you that those funds have been allotted. And uh, so we wanted to try to provide some information to help clarify what those, um, what those, or at least our current understanding, as you know, this, 
this market or not market, but the um, uh, the landscape is changing so quickly. Um, so as of now, what our current understanding of, of uh, this regular set of funds is. Um, Tom, if you can click over to the next slide, number two there. And also, I really appreciate the really nice um, drive that you put together, Tom. I guess everybody has access to that. I also recorded a presentation that we did with our clients impromptu yesterday um, on this. So if you wanted to go back and share that, it's just a YouTube video and you're welcome to share out the link uh, to that anytime. Yeah, Corey. Uh, but yes, sir. Corey, so if everybody goes in the top right hand corner, there's a link there to our drive and I put uh, Corey's presentation and also the YouTube video under, I believe it says uh, funding 154. Uh, but all the drive stuff is in there. So, yep, you got it. Great. Um, so if what I'm sharing doesn't make sense, please feel free to, you know, call us, call Acadia. I know there's other resources that Rhonda probably can connect you with to help you get um, further answers to this. But basically the state has approved additional funds um, related to COVID-19 uh, support and those funds uh, come with certain terms. And so the terms of those funds are first, I'm over here in the left-hand box, qualifying expenses must take place uh, from March 1st to June 30th, 2020. And so these funds uh, must be uh, used on purchases uh, that took place during that time period and the funds must be drawn down during that time period as, as well. So you want to make sure that you utilize these funds during that window um, so that you don't lose out on these funds. And it is a use it or lose it situation. So um, you wanna make sure that you, you do utilize those funds if you have uh, expenses that can meet the qualifying purposes. Um, the calculation, we got a number of questions about the calculation as well. Um, it is what it is, but uh, I guess it's good to know uh, how they arrived at, at the number they arrived at. They actually used a formula that was based on 50% of the ADM multiplied by low wealth percentage and 50% based on allotted ADM. Now, one interesting fact for charters, that's based on the attributes of the county in which your school is located. Um, so they did this based on the counties and then wherever your charter was located um, is, is what your, your basis was. So you may have heard the number $30 per student thrown around. That is not an exact multiple. If you pull your numbers, you'll see that that varies um, the best information that I have is that that is uh, just a um, kind of an average across the state of what was allotted um, based on, you know, those factors. So some higher, some lower. Um, the, on the right, probably the meat of what we're talking about here, the allowable expenses, um, based on the uh, information that came from DPI, uh, Basically, I put it into three buckets. Uh, an expense needs to meet these three criteria. Uh, so first is they refer to additional expenditures. And additional, our understanding of additional is that that's defined as not previously budgeted. 
So if, uh, if it was something that you were planning on uh, already doing, um, you know, then that's, that's not additional to, to your, your yearly budget. Um, then the second is, does it fall in one of these four categories, one of these four bullet points here? So is it related to school nutrition? Is it childcare, which could be school or community-based? Is it related to remote learning services? Or is it related to sanitation of the schools, buses, equipment for that sanitation? And then number three, uh, and most importantly as well, is is it related to the school building closure for COVID-19? And then if it basically meets these three criteria, then our understanding is that you can utilize your PRC 154 funds for those expenses. So some, some clear outliers uh, that we've gotten questions about would be, we bought Chromebooks, extra Chromebooks in February. You know, can I code those back to PRC 154? Well, no. Uh, number one, it falls outside of the time period, March 1st to June 30th. And then number two, uh, it would be hard to prove that that was uh, an additional expenditure related to the closing of, of COVID-19. So that, that would be an easy one to say it does not, does not qualify. Um, other questions that have come up related to uh, you know, bus expenses, uh, providing uh, meals to, uh, to students outside of the school. Um, things like that that you're incurring during the crisis, uh, schools that are, are buying extra laptops, schools that are paying for hotspots for families, all of those types of expenditures are going to very easily fall within um, this category. Um, the, the next slide, Tom, if you can go to the next slide. Some additional FAQs that uh, we got. One uh, was related to what funds are um, additional funds. Are they coming from another bucket? I have not seen a direct communication about this, but it seems to be that they've moved the 50 million uh, from another space. And I believe that was most likely, and it looks like they were um, pulling from what would have been allotted to PRC 016, which is summer reading funds. Um, and so, and they have also said, do not plan on those funds. So DPI does not expect to allocate those funds and you should not plan on receiving those funds. So typically, again, that's a one-to-one. -one. You were only going to spend money from PRC 16 on PRC 16 related activities, but we are advising all of our clients and as we do um, budget review with them to just adjust those projections on both the revenue and expenditure side for PRC's team. Um, is there a specific breakdown for what percentage of the funds should be used for each purpose? Meaning, do you have to use 25% for nutrition, 25% for remote learning? No, there's no guideline uh, that requires you to do that. And in fact, as it's written, you can use it for 100% of any one of those purposes. Uh, so if you want to use 100% of it for remote learning uh, needs, then you can use it for that. Should eight continue to be used in the purpose code for expenses funded through PRC 154? So it wasn't expressly required uh, as, as, as approved. However, you should absolutely do this. Um, 
it's important uh, because we don't know what the future holds in terms of potential additional uh, revenues. Uh, the state wants to continue to con collect data on um, the expenses related to COVID-19. And so uh, eight should be used for both expenses that are not being covered by COVID-19 PRC 154 funds. Meaning if you buy, if you were allotted 20,000 for PRC 154, but you spend 30,000 on those uh, on Chromebooks, then go ahead and use eight for the, for the entire per, uh, purchase in the pur purpose code, you're only going to be able to cover 20 of it with 154, but you want to record and report the entire amount of that pur purchase. Um, so please do continue to use eight in that purpose code for anything that is COVID-19 related, and then um, indicate specifically when you want to cover uh, things with PRC 154. Um, this one is a little bit of a, of a leap. I don't want to alarm anyone with this one, but I do think it's worth noting. Uh, can funds be transferred into PRC 154? The answer is yes. Charters do not use this um, as much as uh, you know, traditional districts do. Uh, but it is possible to transfer funds into PRC 154, which means that a district could transfer funds out of one category and into 154 for those specific purposes. Again, I have no information that would lead me to believe this is going to happen, but I know in the past we've had issues with um, local LEAs and getting appropriate funds to charter schools. And I just think it's important too, as you're planning, whether there's anything that can be done to protect against this or not, I do think it's important to be planning if you start to see a dip in your local LEA payments uh, to ask questions about why that's happening and then potentially use partners like Lisa to determine if that's legally um, uh, available to the districts to do um, uh, and just to monitor for potential future planning as well as everybody's probably starting their next year planning for, for budgets. So again, I, I just am recommending to all our clients to pull the detail from the deposit payments that come in from your local LEAs, compare those with prior, uh, just to make sure you have a good eye on any type of funding changes that the LEAs are doing uh, to deal with uh, COVID-19. Again, not, not meant to, uh, I don't have any information indicating this, but I think it's something to be aware of because uh, you might have skipped over that part of the legislation, uh, but it's, it's important to understand what that potentially could, could do to impact charters. Um, can PRC 154 funds be audited or reviewed by the state? Absolutely, yes. All state funding is subject to inspection. So just be keep record of all expense activity and ensure that you feel confident that they um, fall, uh, those expenses fall within those three guidelines that I had on the previous slide. So, you know, you have to answer that for yourself and for your school. Um, and then keep records of that activity uh, and just enough that as long as you feel confident and comfortable that if anyone ever came back and said, let me see your company documentation for that, uh, could be done, could be asked for by your auditor next year, um, could be asked for by DPI if they wanted to go deeper or do some um, selective audits on charters next year. So important to make sure that you keep that information um, 
One side question that we did get asked that's uh, a good question is, if it's not clear, like additional printing costs, um, and maybe you don't have a, a system at the school that keeps track of your total prints uh, by the entire school, your teachers have individual printers, your, you know, whatever it is, you need to just find a method for tracking that uh, expense activity. So maybe having teachers report on packets um, and number of students that they're creating those packets for, things like that. But some kind of documentation is best um, at, at this point. And then um, whether you're working on your own as a school, whether you're working with Charter Success or Acadia or another group, um, it's, it's essential to make sure that you're reporting to the people who are in charge of pulling the funds, specifically what activity you want to use PRC 154 for. Again, two separate things here. We, we need to code for COVID-19 related activity using the purpose code. And then we also need the additional information of, I would like to use PRC 154 for this expense, uh, those specific funds. Um, so ho hopefully that gives a good overview. Like I said, I've, I did a, a quicker synopsis that's by, available by video if you wanted to use that or share it with anyone else. And uh, Tom, I don't know exactly what the format is. Are, are you opening up for questions? Do you have anything else you wanted me to touch on? Yeah, so here's what we're going to do is we're going to make sure each one of our experts, you know, has a you know, minute just to piggyback on what you share. But I wanted to get to one thing. Corey, you mentioned a couple times, and that was really great. And I always, always love how thorough you are. <laughs> and, uh, Appreciate and, it. And, you said you you noted three things, but there's four bullets here. So I just wanted to make sure you kept saying three things, but there's school nutrition, childcare, remote learning, and sanitation. Am I hearing you wrong, um, or are those yes. the four? Okay, good good point, Tom. So there are four purposes, which are the bullets, mm -hmm. but a but an expense must meet these three criteria. So the criteria are the underlined item, additional expense, the purpose, the four bulleted items, and then the relatedness, which is due to COVID-19. So those are the three. So additional, purpose, and relatedness, and then within purpose, those are the four bullet points there. Got it. So the additional, the four bullets, and it's due uh, to the closing during that March 1st of January or to uh, June 30th. Uh, yeah, yep. it's not, yeah, exactly. right, and it's not, it's not additional. Awesome. I'm practicing with, I don't know if you guys can see it, I'm practicing with my arrows here. So, all right, awesome. So we've got, I know we've got, um, I think Lisa Gordon-Stella wanted to chime in. Rhonda, do you have anything to piggyback? That was really great by uh, Corey. And I want to make sure um, Acadia, you know, they have a team too. They may have, you know, something else to add. So Rhonda, I'll go to you first. And then Lisa, and then Katie, you let us know if there's any specific questions right there in the chat box. I don't have anything related to this. Um, later on, I wanted to talk about the House Select Committee Working Group and the new grading criteria that came out from the State Board. So we okay. can go to... Um, Great. Lisa? I'm here. Um, I didn't have anything to add on this, but I did have... Um, we were 
uh, are we still are we going to talk about the CARES Act at some point? Yeah, we will. That's that'll be next. I just want to make sure we hit you know Corey's part with the funding and then and then I let Acadia. I just wanted to make sure that because I thought you had you had something on this particular piece, but. So Tom, there is a question uh, that, that a few questions actually. One of them is from Joan Roman, and she wants to know uh, if there are any requirements or guidance for providing childcare within the buildings, which I bring up because Corey mentioned that there might be funding to cover that. So just as an auxiliary point, what are the requirements for doing that, if anybody is aware? So yeah, so that just made me think about it. Could you use, would that be an additional expenditure if let's say you're providing childcare for your employees? Is that, is that you know, maybe where the question's coming from? Something like that? Anyway. Right, I think it has to do with, are you allowed to open up your school given that North Carolina's, you know, oh. was a quarantine, you know, are you allowed to, and who's allowed to come in, those, those kinds of things. So I think, this is Lisa, so, um, there as part of the original order from the governor there was a statement about schools being open for child care in particular for uh first responders and healthcare workers and i believe mm -hmm. they were seeking schools to offer themselves up as mm -hmm. possible child care locations to be honest i haven't seen that on anyone's radar since it was initially stated three weeks ago how um and haven't seen any updates about the status of that um so i think that remains an open question okay and perhaps we haven't reached that point where we where they feel like we need to yep. utilize that resource so so katie i want to make sure let's just handle the finance piece first is there any more finance questions when we got our finance um, experts we got a katie and we got a charter success partners and then we'll we'll keep the legal stuff for when lisa comes up sure sure okay so ellie schulmeyer had a question about how school leaders are projecting per pupil allotment given how uncertain the economy is right now So, oh, for next year. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, if, I, if Charter Success or Acadia has any uh, recommendations for so that. I, I, uh, I watched um, a really good presentation by the, um, uh, actually, I can't remember exactly what position he holds in California charter schools, but uh, he was giving guidance to California on their budget projections for next year. And I think that um, planning for a flat uh, estimate and then a 5% um, decrease at a minimum are probably the two scenarios to run through. Um, I know we're all hopeful of the best outcome in this situation, um, which would be uh, ideal, uh, but scenarios beyond that, um, you know that they suggest should suggested would be depending on how much the state actually depletes their uh, cash reserves uh, because fortunately our state did not 
uh, refund everyone like they were talking about doing back in December because they had significant reserves. So it's fortunately, North Carolina is in a, in a pretty good position to weather this depending on how protracted it is. So I would say at a minimum, you know, a flat and then a 5% scenario um, would, would be recommended. And then beyond that, of course, you know, uh, worst case scenarios are just gonna have to, I, I would imagine, um, result in significant, significant cuts in staff. Those are really outside of 5%, usually the only places you can get that kind of money. Yeah, and I can say from uh, firsthand experience, uh, I was on a board or a, of a charter school that, um, you, you know, tried to project what it would be and got ourselves in some really bad situations at the start of the year. So I would never project more than what you, you have received this year and always look at a 95% of your um, projected enrollment just, just to be safe. And everything else is gravy. So I know that's hard, but... Um, important to do for sure. Um, I wanted to, okay, so great job, Corey. Is there anything from Acadia's side that they want to add to that with the, with the funding piece? I know you guys are going to talk about unemployment and, and things in a second here, but I know if you wanted to add anything um, uh, finance-wise. Uh, the only thing, this is Robin, and the only thing I wanted to add um, in agreement with Corey was regarding the projections of the ADM for next year. Um, typically what we're doing is doing a flat rate and a 3% and a 5% just for the unknown. I know a lot of times the um, planning allotments in the past have come in higher. We've always said do not go by those. At least do, you know, same as the previous year until we know closer or at least until they vote on it. But that's, that's definitely our uh, way of going as well. It's great to hear you, Robin. Thank you. Yep. Hey, All right. Um, quick question, and uh, yep. maybe Robin can address this. But are are you guys going to mention the payroll protection program, the the banking um, program for potentially charters? Um, we had not planned on this call. We were going to address the state um, leave act part on our end. I was going to talk. I'm about not sure. That. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. I thought Lisa was going to. Yeah, Lisa, it's the right. CARES Act. We're definitely talking about it. Perfect. Thanks. And that's, and that's next. That's a great leading, Corey. Good <laughs> job, buddy. It's almost like you saw the agenda. All right, here we go. So Lisa Gordon-Stella, our uh, legal expert who is going to really wow us with her. Um, she spends more time on a phone than like, like a phone would allow. She needs multiple cell phones just to keep all the minutes going. So, so let me just tell you that. She's hard to get a hold of. So, All right, Lisa, go for it. You got the floor now. Um, yes. So... Um, and hopefully all of my calls are somewhat productive in that I have information to share. So on the CARES Act, many of you have heard, we, they passed the giant um, stimulus package. And um, in part of that stimulus package are um, loans, some of which are forgivable. And there are two types of loans. In both types of loans, nonprofits are eligible to submit applications. The most common type of loan that m may be available to charters is called the Paycheck Protection Program, or some people call it 7A because that's the provision it's under. Um, before I get into the details of it, I just wanna caveat what I'm saying with the following information. Nobody knows if charters will actually get the money that they apply for. Um, I have been on numerous calls with 
national attorneys from the alliance with back and forth with the alliance with local attorneys there is confusion because in the past charters whenever there has been any designation of um, funding through the small business administration which is who is going to be administering this program they have always interpreted charters as being basically quasi-governmental entities because they are funded by the government and therefore they were denied there is a belief that this particular program is going to be more have a more expansive interpretation but because of the history with the small business administration there is uncertainty as to whether charters will ultimately be approved so i just don't want anyone to go in here thinking it's automatic that you can get this money because we just don't know and we're not going to know until people start submitting applications um, so with that caveat let's get into what it means so under the Paycheck Protection Program, you can apply through the Small Business Administration starting tomorrow um, for, a, for loans to cover payroll, to cover um, the cost of rent, to cover the cost of uh, benefits to your employees and, and other such types of um, expenses that you've incurred. And if you take out these loans, there are provisions for loan forgiveness through this program, and that's the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, the actual application, I can get that to you, Tom, should be available on the SBA's website starting tomorrow. Um, I went on there yesterday, and um, that's what they, they had said starting tomorrow, we'll be taking applications. Um, you can do this through your existing lender as well so if you have a bank that you work with most banks are going to be approved lenders for this um, and the the range of lenders is pretty wide self-help is doing it for their for for folks that they have agreements with that they work with um, i can say i bank with a small bank north carolina virginia bank called fidelity bank they're one of the approved lenders so i think the the range is wide if you have a current relationship with your banker i would contact them and say we're interested in um, in um, submitting an application. What do we need to do? There's supposed to be a very short turnaround turnaround on these loans. Um, they say days. Maybe we'll see what happens with that. So um, the other issue to keep in mind when you're applying for these loans is you don't have to um, have. <clears throat> there's not a personal guarantee or anything like that that's required and I believe there's also not necessarily a credit check um, but because you have a steady revenue stream that may impact how much money if they approve you that you might get because the whole purpose of this loan program is to make up for revenue that businesses have lost or that nonprofits have lost so um, keep that in mind that may be where you're you want to make sure that you have provided information about what your additional expenses were um, very robustly so that you can have uh, the best shot of getting um, you know a loan in an amount that you would like so that's sort of the short of it the other on the loan program the other part of the cares act is on unemployment so um, for the first time we have 
uh, unemployment available to individuals that never had unemployment available to them, which includes independent contractors and those who are self-employed. Um, and so in, addition, so in addition to the people who would normally qualify, those who are um, either furloughed or laid off, uh, in North Carolina, people who are underemployed can also apply for benefits, which means if you have somebody, um, an hourly employee, for example, who you're only able to use for 10 hours a week, and they used to work 40 hours a week, they can apply for unemployment for the difference. And it's a weekly, um, every week they submit a claim to unemployment. So even if it's variable, what, how much you're working somebody, their unemployment will go with them. Um, as far as it will change on a weekly basis. Um, the other thing to think about with unemployment is the CARES Act provides a couple of things about unemployment that are different than the past. First, it increases your supple, it increases the length of time you can get unemployment um, by 20 weeks. So you can get an additional 20 weeks of unemployment. You also get what is called a federal supplement for four months. So for the first four months of unemployment, and there's a there's a sunset provision on this, you, uh, every week you get a $600 federal check separate from the amount you would get in your state. So in North Carolina, the most that you get for unemployment is $350 a week. In addition to that $350 a week, folks would be eligible for that $600 a week unemployment supplement through the federal government. It's not clear whether those are going to come as one check from the state or they're going to come as two checks from the state or one check from the state and one check from the federal government. Those are just logistics that are being worked out. But ultimately what it means is for four months of unemployment, there is that bump up from the feds under the CARES Act. Um, and as with, um, you know, everything else, these are short term fixes. They're, um, they're not going to go on forever. Um, hopefully we won't be in this position forever, but they are um, able to provide people with um, additional income during this time if you do not have work for them. So I thought some, someone popped up here with questions about what do you do for your um, contractors, like custodians or um, other types of vendors. And what I have told folks is, if you have a contract with someone, obviously you have to look at the contract terms, um, but if they are an independent contractor and you know, you're paying for a service and you're not getting it, I would discourage you from paying for a service that you're not getting, provided you're not breaching your contract, um, because one, that could be a misuse of your funds, um, and keep in mind you're talking about government monies, and secondarily, um, independent contractors now and small businesses and sole proprietors are, can get that unemployment. So I realize I've said a lot. I open it up for questions if there are questions. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> you always have a lot. And please, you know, Corey and Acadia, you know, please uh, feel free to also add into any of that um, dialogue. It's a, it's amazing how much minutia Lisa has, has to shift through sift through to be able to get anything that's clear right and that's really the hard part when you think about how much time and effort it goes into being able to gain some sort of clarity on what it is we have to do so that's why we have these calls to make it easier for you 
and to make these folks available so you can have the best information. So Katie, I'll, is there any questions on the side? More. Yep, go ahead, Lisa. I have one more um, issue that I wanted to bring up. So one of the things that people have been asking me um, is what happens if you have an employee and um, you want to give them different work because the work that you normally would give them you don't have and they say I I can't do that work um, for and um, so what do you do for that um, it I, I'm gonna say what all good lawyers will say it depends but what you need to keep in mind is if someone says to you for example I am not able to do certain cleaning or, or be around certain groups of people um, or, or I, because I have an immune problem or I have a health condition that puts me at risk. And that is the reason that they cannot do the, the additional work or the, the different work that you're asking. Um, that person would more likely be characterized as um, uh, falling under the unemployment statute rather than available to work. Um, th this, this, because of how this virus works, because of the number of people and the types of um, conditions that can be impacted, that are um, considered high risk, a lot of people are at high risk. And so it's one thing if someone says, I don't want to do certain work because I just don't want to do it. Um, but it's another if they think they have a health concern associated with that. You have to be very careful about how you manage that and how you, because you could run into problems with the Americans with Disabilities Act. You could actually run into problems with a family and medical leave. And you might have to, um, if someone has a COVID situation that falls under the new um, FFRCA, which is the, the law that just passed a couple weeks ago that expands um, FMLA to any entity with less than 500 employees for a certain reason and also provides um, emergency paid sick leave, all of that might come up in those situations. So I would strongly suggest before you make any decisions about what to do with that person, is that you talk to your attorney because you don't wanna find yourself on the wrong end of the stick with that. It can be very complicated very quickly. So here's maybe the most important part of all of this, right? Lisa and Corey and Sarah and Robin and. Rhonda, everybody who participates. If you could let the leaders know, what is it that they should be doing, right? What's, what's their action step to be able to move forward? And you guys should be thinking on that too. Like Lisa just dropped a lot of information on us, you know, so did Corey. Like what, what action steps should they take if you were in their shoes? Because Katie and I, and I'm going to say this, Katie, we were on a call with Patrick Lencioni the other day, right? And I won't say it was private call. There was like 5,000 people on there, but we were there. <laughs> and he specifically said, at this time in crisis, leaders tend to put their heads down and just drive through it. And by doing that, though, sometimes they forget the little things, right? Sometimes they forget the reminders that they need. So it's important, you know, experts on the call, like, let's tell them, like, what, what would be a good step for them in any of these things that we're sharing it today. I should have said it at the beginning, but um, I had my head down. So, uh, so that's just a good piece. So as you're asking your questions and Katie, as you're filtering through the questions, let's make sure that we capture that, that call to action for everybody. And we don't just leave this call like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. So Lisa, what's, what's, what's one good step um, that, you would, that you would encourage them to do? 
I would say draw on the expertise that you have available to you. Um, you got, you know, folks that you work with, don't be afraid to delegate <laughs> um, when needed because I, I find, you know, extremely competent people, including myself sometimes, have a hard time delegating because we think they're the ones that, we think we're the ones that do everything the way we know how to do it. And sometimes delegating that out um, can actually free up both mental space and actual space in your day. Um, and so that's, that, that's what I would say. And, and don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because they're not stupid. Right now, um, everyone is learning. As I said, I can't even get clarity on something as simple as can charters get this loan or can they not? Um, and we're talking hundreds and hundreds of really smart people out there who just, who are like, well, I think this and I think this. And so there, you just have to try your best um, and, um, and surround yourself with people that you can trust to help you through it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's one of the rules of five, you know, Katie and I talk about what are the five things you need to do every day as a leader. And one of them is just to check in with yourself, right. To make sure that you're blocking off a little bit of white space time. So you, you can actually think through and then trust the people, um, you know, find some people who are ahead of you to ask really good questions and then uh, deliver. Like I loved what Corey said about if you don't have a way to capture how many copies you've made that you normally wouldn't have made, like you got to start finding a way to do that because this is, you know, additional revenue and, you know, figure it out. And maybe, you know, some of those staff members that don't have the ability to do other work, this is maybe something they could do. They can create the low tech uh, packets that you're sending out, you know, you know, folks that are having a hard time, they can staple at least, right? So, all right. All right. So any other legal questions? Um, if not, I want to move to Acadia. Um, and and I, I'll stay on this call as long as everybody else does. So um, I want to make sure we give our experts uh, the time to share what they've been researching for you. So excellent job as always, Lisa, and I'm sure we'll come back to you. Um, so Acadia Northstar, we got Sarah and Robin and Kaz, and, and I think I saw some other Acadia folks on the call too. So let me know if I need to unmute anybody, but um, you guys got it. Hi, Tom. Um, well, we're all huddled around Sarah's computer, so. <laughs> six, six feet apart, of course. Awesome. Uh, going back to your question about what, what advice we would have to school leaders at this time, I think um, by now, most school leaders should have some type of plan in place um, under the direction of their board of directors, of course, as to how they're going to proceed with paying their employees. Um, some kind of leave policy, per se. Are you going to continue paying your employees and their benefits as is? Um, are you going to not pay your hourly people or your uh, temporary staff? So I think that would be the starting point to have a policy in place, how are we going to proceed with paying our employees? Um, I think also it's important to remember when deciding the plan of action is that your, your budget is already funded for the year. So you already have, you know, state funding, federal funding, you already have funds to cover that salary. So really the, and you budgeted for it. So the decision really is, are we willing to continue to pay them during this time? Um, and that brings me to the state of emergency that we had uh, agreed to talk on. 
So for schools who, for charter schools who do not have a policy in place at this point in time, uh, the State Board of Education has implemented their state of emergency leave policies. And charters, if they so choose, um, can adopt this policy and use that as their own. Um, the leave period right now covers April 1st to April 30th. And maybe the Board of Education, depending on could you guys do me a favor? I'm so sorry. I know you're six feet away from the computer. Um, <laughs> we're seeing some chat marks that we can't always hear you. It seems like it's going in and out. So if there's someone, you know, talking, like, just make sure you're right into the mic if you could, and then you guys can shift around. And this just, if you could tell us who you are, because I heard there's many people around the computer. So who's there and who's actually talking? So when these, you know, leaders, I want them to start to learn to put a, a, a name to the voice. Uh, since we're all uh, virtual and I'm so sorry I should have started with that so right in there and then hopefully just let us know if you can't hear very well on the right hand side um, and we'll keep on working on that sorry about that oh that's fine this is Amanda Guevara um, I have with me Robin Millette Sarah McCracken and Melinda Smith um, we're the ones huddled right now <laughs> we also have Cass and Edith um, on the call as well is is that better can you hear me a little better Oh my gosh, it's so great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> great. Um, so the leave that we're talking about that the charter schools may choose to adopt if, if they would like to, again, it's an option. Um, it covers a period of April 1st to April 30th and may be extended as needed by the um, SBE. Uh, for the leave, this particular leave policy, there are three designations of employees, mandatory employees, non-mandatory employees and temporary employees. Um, mandatory employees are considered employees who actually have to work on site. Um, so what comes to my mind would be probably your maintenance people, your child nutrition people, people who can't work from home. They actually have to come on site to work. Your non-mandatory employees are people who have the ability to work remotely. Um, so all your teachers, TAs, etc., will fall in the category of non-mandatory. And then your temporary employees are employees who are filling an actual vacancy. So this is not someone who is um, filling in for someone who is out on leave or out on maternity leave, something like that. This is an actual temporary employee who's filling a vacant position at your school right now. And all three uh, of these classes of employees are covered under the leave policy. Um, as far as who qualifies for the leave policy, anyone who is unable to work because of childcare um, issues, their daycare is closed, and for this leave policy, a child is considered anyone under the age of 18. Um, also, those who are caring for the elderly, uh, those who are high-risk employees or caring for someone who is considered high-risk. And going back to what Lisa said, um, the employer should not make the determination who is a high-risk employee. Uh, they should get some type of documentation from their doctor stating that they are high-risk. Um, Eric, can I just say one thing about that? There was clarification about the age of children under that, and if your child is for above, if a child is above 14, um, there is additional documentation in order for someone to fall under that there's new Department of Labor guidance about the, the leave under that. Gotcha. Um, 
also the employee if if they are suffering with symptoms of COVID-19 so it says you know sick employee but not not sick for any other reason other than COVID-19 or if they are caring for someone who is experiencing and exhibiting uh, symptoms of COVID-19 um, or an employee who the doctor advises to self-quarantine because they've been exposed or they're at risk. Um, so those would be the individuals who qualify uh, for this leave. Um, employees who do not qualify will be any employee who is simply refusing to work or um, has no qualifying conditions. So if you have someone who you've offered a um, teleworking opportunity to and they simply turn it down, they will not be covered under this leave. Um, also, substitutes are not eligible and temporary employees who are not actually filling um, a vacant position would also not be eligible. Any employees who are out of work uh, because of those reasons must use some other type of leave, so whether it's their regular sick leave or vacation um, in order to be paid. So the leave period again covers April 1st to the 30th, uh, up to 168 hours, not to exceed 40 hours a week. Part-time employees, their hours would be the average of their hours work per week in the previous month. And uh, also under this policy, there's an additional 96 hours for the period of March 16th to the 31st. So it can be applied uh, retroactively for that period of time. Now, the question everybody's probably asking, well, who's gonna pay for it? Well, the schools will pay for it. Um, you pay whether it's through, if you regularly pay these positions through state, local, or federal funding, you will continue to do so. Uh, with the exception of child nutrition and childcare, uh, which as Corey covered, um, those expenses fall under PRC 154. So you can use your PRC 154 funding for those positions. Um, and the only other item I have, uh, Alexis Charles did say that they were putting together uh, a question and answer, which they will be releasing specific to the leave policy. So there, there is a tax credit for anything that you pay under family, the, emer the Emergency Family Medical Leave Act and the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act. Um, and that is two thirds of the person's salary that you're paying under that act. And that is not just um, immediately deductible on your payroll taxes, it is also refundable to you if you don't have enough expenses um, from the federal government. So yes, schools have to pay for that leave, but that leave, that leave money will come back right back to you. Well, well, the if it's leave on now, the, this state of emergency leave is totally separate from the FFCRA leave. Um, so this is a policy that can be put in place by the charter school who are choosing to just continue to pay their employees and cover their benefits. Now, if an employee um, qualifies for the FFCRA leave and the school is paying them under the FFCRA leave policy, that's when they can get the tax credits. Um, and in that instance, they'll only be entitled to two thirds of their pay. Whereas if you're implementing this leave policy, you'll be paid your full, if you work 40 hours a week, 40 hours a week is what you'll get paid. Okay, I just need to get some clarity. No school should be doing what the, the traditional public schools are doing. No charter school should be doing that. 
Correct. And that's why they, they did emphatically state that it is a choice. Um, if the charter school does not have their own leave policy, if they choose to adopt this policy, this is just the information on what the state is saying that they are doing. Okay. Any school that's online who's even considering that needs to talk to their attorney. <laughs> there is so much that goes along with that. That is not a decision you make on the fly without getting counsel and talking to your board. Yeah, and I was wondering, Lisa and Amanda, like, would a school have to, like I think we talked about last week, schools shouldn't have to change their personnel uh, policies or handbooks to be able to do any of these things, or, or would they? Like, what, what would be the step for them? Should they be doing that? I mean, obviously talking to their board, talking to their legal counsel, because they'll be the ones representing you know, them in court if something, God forbid, happens. But like, sh should they do anything with their own current local policies as well? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just. Oh, sorry. I'm Lisa, Lisa's, Lisa's muted. Oh, sorry. Oh, I didn't know. So, my recommendation is that you go by whatever your existing policies. If you want to go and pay people who are not working, um, I would definitely get board approval. So, if you do not have an existing policy to pay people um, or extend, uh, or if you're going to pay people outside of your policies, you should have a policy that you, I mean, you should revise it. Um, because first of all, if you don't do that, there is no way to track whether you're being consistent. Uh, and second of all, you are not following your policies if you do that. <laughs> so um, if you're going to give everybody unlimited leave or, or allow people to be paid or get uh, supplement their time um, outside of FFCRA, then I would definitely be changing your policies to reflect that. Um, I think that you're opening yourself up to some problems if you don't, um, because part of it is you also need to think about, are you doing this for everybody? Are you doing this for certain classes of employees? How long are you doing it for? Um, and you know you don't want to be in a situation where you make promises that you end up not being able to keep for budgetary reasons and, and i've seen schools do that with family medical leave where they just sort of pay each time it comes up they pay they will decide what they're going to do and that's really not a good way to go about it you need to have some consistency to protect yourself and I'll tell you what, the, or, the organizations that are going to win are the organizations that take care of their people. Organizational health is going to be the most important part coming out of this, right? So when you see the news, if you watch the news, if you even dare, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, they're like shutting down the, the unemployment like websites. They, they, they just keep crashing because so many people are applying. So really take in the organizational health consideration before you start doing things like that. And I've heard some leaders say that, you know, some folks have asked to be laid off. You know, that's a challenging conversation. You need to make sure that you follow all your policies, like Lisa said, and go through the process and get everything in writing if that, if that would be the case. So um, 
Awesome work. As Katie starts to gather some of the questions and she probably already has them because she's overly prepared. I want to hear one success story from someone's academic plan. Like, like what's, what's one great thing that's happening academically? Because we spent an hour now and we haven't talked about student learning because we're so deep in the weeds of other stuff. So if you've got something to share, um, go ahead and either raise your hand or put something in the chat box and I'll make sure you get un, unmuted as uh, Katie starts to get our questions. Katie, are you ready for our for any panel questions? Okay, so you guys dump in the chat box if you got an, um, an education thing to share. Katie's gonna ask some questions of Lisa. Hope, hopefully Lisa and Katie can hang on for a little bit longer. So go ahead, Katie. Sure, so uh, someone sent me a question. They just want clarity. Um, it's, she said, so nutrition and childcare salaries can be applied to PRC 154. Can you all clarify that? Yeah, we're gonna need Acadia to, to clarify that through okay. our finance. Amanda, are you still on there? Yes, I am. And um, childcare and nutrition are two of the eligible expenses under PRC 154. Okay, um, so that's, yes. But okay. what, what I will caution there though, Katie, um, to have the schools review their allotment to see exactly how much funds they're getting in PRC 154, because we've really seen it across the board. I've seen it as low as $2,000 up to, you know, 20 plus thousand dollars. Okay. So um, before making any decisions, how they're going to spend or if they're going to use that for salaries, really review and see exactly how much your school is, is going to be getting. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, so another question is about uh, our, so this would be for Lisa, have schools implemented the teleworking agreement or have they implemented as a policy so that employees don't need to sign? So the question is, do you add it as a policy or do you add it to your contracts? Um, I think it's easier to just have a policy mm -hmm. um, and you could have the person acknowledge the policy by signing it. But um, my recommendation because of how quickly we need to get this done mm -hmm. is to have your board adopt a policy. And I did, and I know you posted the draft one that I sent. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then push it out to all of your employees saying, you know, here's the teleworking policy. Um, and because most, and this goes to sort of your handbooks, every handbook should have um, a statement that makes it clear that you can modify it at any time. And this would be one of those instances um, that you would be doing so. I don't think there's anything wrong with having people sign. Um, I just think it's logistically more difficult right now to make that happen. Um, and okay. I think you can achieve the same goal. Okay. Hey, Katie, Katie, where did we, that's uh, probably in the drive, right? So if you don't have that uh, template that Lisa just talked about, um, it's, I'm sure it's in the drive and I'm sure Katie's going to find it in a second, which makes me think about, um, we had some schools reach out to us about board meetings and having to create a policy to have your board meetings online. You don't need to create a policy to have your board meetings online. You just need to follow the same open meeting laws that you always would. Just make sure that everybody has access to the open part. Um, so that means you might have to put the link. If you know you're going to go into closed session, you just need a separate line, right? And if you're really good at Zoom and you trust it, you can go into the breakout rooms. But uh, you just need to create a second line, have them, you know, have the board members leave the one meeting, call into the other. Don't share the closed meeting phone number on accident or on purpose. Right. Um, but yeah, you don't need to create a policy to be able to have an online uh, board meeting, but you cannot vote by email or text 
or proxy of any kind, everybody. So Lisa, or can you vote in closed session? <laughs> Remember that. Right. Go back into open session. That's right. Yeah. Well, yes. Consult your legal attorney Sorry, if you do anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so there was just one more question. Um, how is everybody handling the service contracts that we are not using? I know, uh, like bus service, janitorial services. We touched on it, but just to clarify to make sure, um, you know, that this answer gets out there. Um, so I think I tried to touch on this soon, earlier, but my recommendation is if your contract allows you to, to, to terminate it or not pay is that you can do that because you're not receiving the, the bottom line is you should not be paying for things for which you are not receiving work or a service. And even the FAQ from the state has said only you're only supposed to be paying people who are continuing to work. And so, because you, you're dealing with government money again. Um, so if you have a contractor and you are not able to, you know, what their service they're providing isn't needed right now, then I wouldn't be paying it. Now, if the contract says you have to pay it, you have to pay it. But, um, you know, again, all of these independent contractors, small businesses and um, sole proprietors will have funds available to them. And, um, and so, you know, just like charters may have funds available to them, businesses, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the CARE Act is, CARES Act is to, is to help small businesses. Um, but just be very careful about paying people, any person who is not actually performing work unless you are contractually obligated to do so. I love it. Anything else, Katie? That was it. That was the last question. We had a uh, we had an update from Kimberly Best from Brevard Academy. Shall I go ahead and share that? Um, yep. Yeah. Do that, and then we've got Ben, who's gonna we're gonna unmute him so he can talk about what what the Triangle Math and Science uh, schools are doing. So go ahead. Perfect. So she, Kimberly said our K two group has been using Seesaw and having incredible success with connecting with students. Students are joining, being able to video themselves and send them to their teachers. They're working uh, to putting a plan together to work on tutoring with the instructional assistants to use Zoom uh, with you know, considerations for the issues that everybody else is having. Awesome. And my son loves uh, Seesaw. He's, he's in first grade and he's actually really excited to get on the computer every morning to see his buddies and to record something, whatever you know, he made the night uh, before or to tell him what he did. So how many goals he scored on his dad or something. So. All right, Ben, I'm gonna open the floor for you. So Ben is the superintendent of the Triangle Math and Science Academies, uh, which has schools in Charlotte and Greensboro and Cary. So Ben, can you hear us? Yes, I do. Yeah, give us an update on, on what's, what's one academic success you guys are having so far. Um, what we've done uh, March 16, actually, you know, we've decided to close down before the governor the same day, like, like two hours before you were in the meeting. And we did asynchronous learning for the first week. We just assigned, you know, we have, we had an inclement weather, you know, the digital learning policy in place. We use Google Classroom, Canvas, and ClassDojo for each different grade levels. And we contracted the Zoom before even, you know, the, uh, that thing happened. And then the last week was our spring break. And then we started this Monday, fully synchronized, you know, the learning. 
and every day we've been watching you know the all five campuses from three different cities you know the hundreds of meetings are taking place at the same time we're not just teaching the kids we're teaching the parents as well you see behind the you know the uh, the camera they are guiding their kids you know they're trying to help them you know um we distributed about 500 chromebooks to, to the ones who need it and uh, we provided some um hot spots for the ones who are struggling for the internet connection like uh like handful of staff members and couple you know the uh the parents um this uh, this saturday we have a board meeting and we will be announcing that this is the uh, this is we are going to be completing the whole year digitally as last day of our school is may 22nd so there is no meaning to come back for one week. And I had a good chat with Dave Machado yesterday and we will be, you know, the, uh, limiting the screen time, like not more than three hours per kids and giving the flexibilities to all teachers and making sure that everybody is working. And we, we teamed up our non-teaching staff and we created on our website, like the, um, the helpline for the digital learning questions for our parents and everybody. And I think we are functioning like nine, more than 95% of face-to-face -face instruction. And we're going to get better, I'm assuming, at this point. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, look, they've already taken a couple of big steps. They've already announced that school will just finish the year digitally. And this is what they're going to do. And that's what, you know, you got to take action as a leader in SWIFT and just decide and Hope, hope that it works, right? And if it doesn't work, it's a learning experience for sure. So I can't wait to hear some updates on that. And which really, really makes me think about yesterday, uh, some of you may have been on the call or some of your exceptional children's directors were on the call. We hosted, there was 37, I think Katie came on and three teachers uh, from three schools, IDYL in Durham, the Brevard Academy and um, uh, the Envision Science Academy, those EC directors shared their education plans that they're using to serve students with disabilities. So if you didn't have an EC teacher or a director on that call, it's Wednesdays at three. Uh, it'll be every week, just like this one's Thursdays at one. We'll never cancel, I'll just let you know. And, um, and uh, so that's, that was a great, to hear the affirmation that you know, you know, folks even said, gosh, I thought we were way off, but we seem to be doing what everybody else is doing. So that's a big part of why we have these calls here. Kelly Riley, do you want to share with us? Or are you just uh, throwing something in the chat box here? She's I'm got that. Like oh, there you go. Yeah, go for it, <laughs> Kelly. Let's hear some let's hear some positives. Yeah, no, we've just um, you know, uh was sharing with Rhonda not too long ago when we were chatting. It's just been so um exceptional to see that our teachers really draw close to the responsive classroom philosophy that we practice daily, minute by minute when we're in their classroom. And um it just feels so good that that has translated uh beautifully over to our remote learning. Um our teachers have just been really creative about how to build community and um I think that that's one of the reasons why um parents are getting a unique glance and glimpse uh, into what we do and what we expect of our students. We think we do a great job of that, you know, when they're dropping their children off and trusting that they're with us, that we're spreading that word. But man, are they really able to learn a lot during these last few weeks. And I think what has really held us together and promoted and motivated parents to support their kids at home is the strong commitment to their social and emotional learning 
too. So that responsive classroom piece has been really the, the bonding between, oh my gosh, parents thinking, you know, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to do this? They see the beauty of the interaction between their children that can take place using technology. And then they're motivated to, you know what, we can step in, we can do this, we can support them. So it's been a good journey so far. I love it. Thanks, Kelly, so much for sharing there. I love that. And how about you, Joan? I see you dropped something in here. You want to you give us a minute? Yeah, I think that uh, for our, our staff, the important piece was keeping those connections with our families. So using this virtual platform in real time, like you are today, like we are today. So all of our teachers are having morning meetings, uh, having their kids check in, getting that face-to-face -face with them. And then twice a day, they have open office hours if they're not teaching uh, virtually, um, if, if the kids are doing lessons on their own. So they have those open office hours. And then our leadership team, myself and our instructional coach, have been able to pop into those meetings and say hi. And it's just heartwarming to see the engagement and the kids just yearning for that connection. So it's yeah. been good. I love it. Yeah. Connection, connection, connection. That's a big part of your daily to-do is to be making sure you're making connections with those who may feel isolated, especially staff. Um, everybody needs affirmation. I, I, I couldn't believe when I saw that that Facebook group grew from 36,000 to 126,000 in two weeks. In two weeks, all these people looking for a community. Build, make sure you're building your own community right there. So I want to thank uh, Rhonda. So Rhonda, why don't you open your, your microphone up? What's, what's, what's one thing you heard inspiring today uh, that, that, that you'll take back with you? Uh, well, I really appreciate how the uh, school leaders are finding new ways to connect with their students. Um, and I wanted to share that I didn't get a chance to really say much about the legislative update, but I did want to say that the um, House Select Committee on COVID-19 has developed that working group for education and they're meeting right now. This is their second meeting since their first last week, uh, I guess on Thursday, on Wednesdays. Wait, is this Thursday? <laughs> My days are running together. But anyway, uh, they will meet weekly. And one action step I wanted to take was we are requesting that the association to that group on the special struggles that charter schools have faced and how they've been affected during the COVID-19 request is that uh, school leaders contact me to give me your insight into anything you think that the House Select Committee should know because they'll be the one making those recommendations to the House to uh, get legislation in motion for everything related to COVID-19. So I need to know that from you so that I can do a good job of presenting that to them. Can, can you update this on the, the uh, grading part too, Rhonda? We wanted to make sure that oh, you, yeah. Had, yeah, you had touch base yeah. on that. So go ahead, take the floor. Yeah. So. Um, I'll hit the highlights. Last week, the state board met and they voted on the new grading criteria in regards to this school closure situation. They, um, the Dr. Shaw Coltrane from DPI presented a definition on remote learning and she went on to discuss five critical factors 
related to learning and evaluation of students for grades K through um, 11. And for the emphasis on grades K-5 should be on providing feedback so that students are growing and progressing and the emphasis should not be on evaluating um, students for a grade. And then in grade 6-11, um, the language shifted a little bit from evaluate student learning to schools may assign grades in the format that the school already uses but they, a teacher has to verify that all five critical factors have been met for all students in that class to get a grade. If one student hasn't met all of the critical factors, uh, then no student should be given a grade. And she went on to elaborate during the Q&A that uh, no student should be given an advantage for having access to a device or connectivity that another student might not have. And um, in regards to seniors, it, some schools have their own uh, minimum number of credits that students should get to be able to graduate. That has been reduced to the state minimum of 22. And there are five considerations related to seniors. Uh, as far as grades go, there are two new grades that will be in power school if they are already. Uh, rather than pass-fail, there's going to be a PC-19, which means pass, and a WC-19, which means fail. Um, seniors' grades will be, their GPA will be factored on everything through the, um, up to the end of the fall semester, their senior year. And then students, I'm talking specifically about seniors, if they had a passing grade in a class as of March 13th, then that student would get a PC-19 grade for that class. If the student had an F in the class as of March 13th, then that student has to be given an opportunity to bring that up to a passing grade, which would be a PC-19. Related to occupational course of study, seniors need to complete 157 hours of the 225 hours to earn a PC-19, and students who are taking classes through uh, NCVPS um, in grades six through 11, they'll still earn a letter grade A through F, and seniors will earn a PC-19 or a WC-19. The community colleges, because we know some students are taking classes at community colleges, they have agreed that seniors will also be on that same grading system for the spring semester, PC-19 or WC-19. And then um, in, I got an email back in response to questions I asked Dr. Shaw Coltrane. And um, one of the questions I had was, um, even if a student has a passing grade as of um, March 13th, what if the teacher is presenting information that is very important past that date? She said that school is still open for learning, even though seniors will receive these grades as of March 13th. And that DPI and the State Board of Education encourage remote learning still continue for all students. So my action step for that would be on the um, 
OCS call tomorrow. I understand that more details will be presented on grading. So I would encourage you to pay attention. And then DPI will also be putting out an FAQs document on grading. That should either be Awesome. And so I wanted to make sure Acadia had a chance because uh, they do so much, you know, student services and student information through uh, PowerSchool. Did they talk about the impact at all on um, how, how they're going to code grading or how does that impact your uh, PowerSchool work? So just to, this is Sarah. Uh, hi. Just to kind of add on to what Rhonda was discussing, we've gotten multiple questions about how this actually looks from a GPA standpoint and how this is all calculated in. Uh, we've gotten questions about schools that had a um, end date that was in earlier in May wanting to know, well, if we're more than two thirds the way through this class, can we elect to do this differently? Can we elect to give GPA points and give actual grades versus the uh, PC-19 and the WC-19? And the answer to that is no. Uh, for a block long course, regardless of what happens, you have to give those two grades. Now that also filtered into the year-long courses, uh, mainly because you've got an actual grade for first semester and then you're partially through your second. Our understanding, and it's, it's also Dave Machado's understanding, I typed it out to him just to have him confirm uh, while we were on this call, is that for a year-long course, the way that they're trying to move this forward is that you've got a, you have a grade for first semester, you will receive the P or the W for second semester, but they are working to give partial GPA credit for that year-long course so that the child will actually get some credit for it versus just a P or a W. Uh, we have had the same thing directed to us as far as what happens with these 12th graders. If you were to tell a student you're getting this passed regardless of what happens in between March and May, uh, what we're telling our people is unfortunately, if the child elects not to do anything past that point, if they had the passing grade on March 13th, that is what the policy states, but we can encourage them to do all we can to keep them engaged for the remainder of the year. Uh, the other thing that's coming up is I had asked specifically the question, uh, Dave Machado had alluded that if we did not return to school, that the same policy could potentially apply to sixth through 11th grade. And so I just basically asked the question if he had any idea when that decision would be made. Um, and he said he did not, that it would just be ongoing, but he did anticipate if the decision was made that no one would return to school, that the same policy would apply to the sixth through 11th grade that applied to 12th graders and that it would be a state decision in, in all likelihood would be a state decision and not a local decision. Thanks Sarah for that. That's a, that's a lot. There's a lot more. <laughs> There's a lot. So I mean, to me, you can create a policy that's more strict. So was it a shall, like a shall, like the state where like, if you're a past this date and the kid is passing, it's shall? Like, According to the wording, yes. Wow. Okay. That's huge. Yes, she's right. Man. Um, so can we make sure we, we had some people ask, Rhonda, I want to, because I was looking for those things online. What are the five criteria? And, you know, Katie, maybe we can find them and type them into the box. I remember seeing them yesterday, but what, can you say them a little bit slower, Rhonda, so we hear those five specific criteria to be able to use grading? Yeah, sure, and, and I did answer that privately to someone in the chat, but I'll copy and paste it into, so that it's public. The critical factors for effective remote learning 
remote, remote learning is accessible by also for which the learning is intended and is responsive to diverse learning groups. Two, maintains consistent communication between instructional staff and students. Three, addresses the curricular and instructional needs associated with appropriate standards. Four, includes evidence of student learning. And five, considers the whole student as well as the home learning environment. Yeah, and then so it has to meet all five of those for the entire class to be graded. That's right. right. So if you got 30 because kids in your class and 29 make it and one doesn't. Yeah, that, that was a question that one of the State Board of Education members asked during the Q&A. And uh, I found it, well, I mean, my, my background is as a teacher. And so I question something that, I don't know, I just I have my own personal issues with it. But the answer is yes, if all critical factors cannot be verified for all students, then no student should be given a grade. And it's because of what I said earlier, uh, no, no single student should be given an advantage for having access to a device or connectivity or any kind of advantage period over another. Yeah, but definitely should be getting the feedback and everything that they uh, deserve um, to be Absolutely. able to grow and learn. And that's, that's where you, that's where, that's where integrity comes in, everybody. Right. Um, I know Cass wanted to share something about a calendar deadline. So Cass, because I'm not very smart, why don't you share everybody what you're talking about? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last week, uh, we kind of got into the calendar and the updating of the calendar that DPI had posted the QRD on, um, basically referencing where schools were to enter the, the estimated number of instructional hours they intend to be happening on these remote learning days. Um, they did, in fact, give a deadline for this calendar to be updated. Uh, I apologize, that's my nine-month-old in the background. Um, but they did give a deadline of May 6th um, in regards to that. So May, or I'm sorry, not May 6th, April 6th. April 6th is the deadline for that. So they're wanting all calendars in PowerSchool updated with that information by April the, April the 6th. And that's this year's calendar, right, Cass, not next year's Correct. Calendar. That okay. is this year's calendar updated with the uh, COVID-19 and remote learning instructional time hours. Awesome. Can we go back? We've got some more questions about grading, specifically the pass-fail. Who feels they have a good handle on the pass-fail piece to be able to communicate that out? Who's maybe already started to institute it? Um, and what pass-fail truly looks like? Um, so, so maybe wording behind it, maybe you've sent out a message about it, or maybe Rhonda, maybe it's still too young and maybe we need to wait uh, tomorrow. We'll get some better language around it, but we'd love to hear from anybody who's willing to share about, um, about what pass fail looks like. There, there is not a pass fail. It's a pass withdrawal. So that's the, the biggest difference is it, to hold the child harmless. And that's really the reason they've put this in place is that it's a pass or withdrawal. Um, so a fail will not be given. And my understanding of it, it's determined by the 10 point scale. So if they were passing based on the 10 point scale as of March 13th, they are going to receive a P. If they were not passing at that date, they're gonna have the opportunity to reach a P, but if they do not, then they will receive a W. 
That's right. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Got it. That, that sounds a lot better. I like that. Perfect. I know a bunch of folks got some meetings. So if you need to hop, go ahead and hop. So I think we've covered all the questions. Uh, there was something I put in there that there's so many chats. Oh, here we go. Uh, what happens if our hours of instruction via remote learning is different from what our original calendar showed? So this is Cass. I think this is back to you. If we're doing six hours of remote teaching learning, but our hours submitted on a calendar are six and a half, are we out of compliance? And they haven't done anything in terms of the calendar and waivers or anything like that, right? So, Cor Correct. To, to my knowledge, they have not. Um, and as far as the way your power school is already set up in regards to a full day of instruction being six and a half hours, leave that. The only place that you're going to alter that number is you're going to be placing that into your calendar under the notes section. So if you are in fact doing six hours of remote learning, then that number six and six alone would go into the notes section of every day that remote learning is taking place. So there's no major updating being done to your overall system in terms of changing your overall instructional hours from six and a half to six. Instead of that, it is going into the calendar specifically on the days where remote learning is happening. And in the notes section, you would put a six there because that's what you're doing in regards to remote learning is six hours. Yeah. Um, I do also know that, um, and kind of going back to what Rhonda said, uh, last week we had the question was presented, you know, what, what is remote learning? How do I determine those estimated number of intended hours? Um, and Rhonda did mention there is a definition for that that was laid out last week. Um, and basically they've defined that as learning that takes place outside of the traditional school setting using various media and formats such as, but not limited to, video conference, telephone conference, print material, online material, and learning management systems. So within that definition, um, and again, not limited to those, those examples, um, would be remote learning. Yeah, and is that on that remote learning resource website, Cass, that you just pulled that from, probably? I do believe that this is already linked out there, but if not, I'll send the link to Katie to make sure that that uh, is another resource. That's yeah, on you there. can drop it in the chat too. I'm okay. pretty sure. Absolutely. We have it. Um, I do believe so. Yes. And I'll type it in. Okay. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Thank and you, also, Ronnie. you know, remember just what Cass said, it's like, it's not one-to-one -one here, right? So don't think like you have to do six hours of remote. It, no one could honestly do six. I mean, look, we're all doing it. We're all nuts, right? I mean, we, we can't be on a tablet for, for six hours doing stuff. So you're, it's almost like tutoring, right? So it really should be no more than half, half of your normal day at the most. And just, you know, think about what that looks like because it's very precise specific instruction which allows your IEP team also to also decrease the uh, direct service hours and it really helps and works with them too so um, awesome work all right so I see those links are down there and um, Cassie threw me a private one so I'm going to pull that out unless it's something you're sending me private can you pull that out and put it in the everyone chat for me Cass sure yeah I'd be glad to and Arana just put the definition too at the bottom so perfect all right, so I had dropped in, so we're going to end with this. Unless anybody has any other burning questions, I want to thank Rhonda and Cass and Amanda and Sarah and Lisa Gordon-Stella and Corey and Katie and everybody who participated. Um, but I had put, I got this from Michael Hyatt yesterday, and it's just 10, 10 things you should be doing, right? And one is take a daily walk, right? I mean, this is really, really stressful. Um, and if you're not taking care of yourself, self-care might be the most important thing that you can do for yourself right now. You know, journal, journal what you're learning, 
uh, making sure you're uh, connecting and, you know, finding new ways to uh, connect with those people that really feed your heart. Like last week I had a Zoom chat with, you know, guys that I went to elementary school with. And it went for like an hour and I laughed so hard, but it really filled my heart, you know, for the day. So I want you guys to really make sure that you're, that, that, that you're taking care of yourself. You know, listen to soothing music, uh, take a break, tell a joke, drink lots of water, hold hands and turn off the news, right? Only just get the updates that you need and don't obsess over things that you can't control. And half of these things, more than half of these things, we can't control. But what you can control is how you respond to them. And everybody in your organization and in your community is watching you respond. And if you got kids at home, they're also watching, right? So make sure that you're being a great model for them uh, in this time. We're all gonna get through this. And we're all gonna be better on the back end focus on the organizational health part. So I wanna make sure I didn't miss anything in the chat box. Um, got the pass fail. Through the school safety grant, we have mental health services. They're putting uh, together a PD for our teachers on self-care and addressing stress. That's uh, fantastic and that's really great. And I've got a friend too who does this. So her and I have been talking about how could we maybe do something virtually for some teachers too. So. I love you all. I'm gonna I'm gonna unmute you all, or you guys all unmute yourself, so we can say bye and um, appreciate you all. And uh, have a great day. Get out and take a walk. Get off your computers for a while. And be safe. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks again, everybody. Bye.